Hey, welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I am your host. Today we have a special guest. So my guest today is Miss Erica Gali. Erica is a teacher at a public high school in New Jersey. She is an adjunct adjunct, excuse me, instructor of Women and Gender Studies 101, offered by Syracuse University Project Advance, and she does on her school's campus. In March of 2023, she was honored for her contributions to women and girls by the County of Bergen's Junior Commission on Women. And we are very honored to have her here with us today. So Erica, 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 welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We're going to have a fantastic conversation. Tonight, we're going to talk about women's rights. And since this is a women's empowerment group, I am also going to allow my executive board to chime in to have this conversation with me. I am always interested in subjects about our rights as women. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Miss Erica, since you are our guest today. I, I want let's let's talk about women's rights because you 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 are a I, I'm trying to get the right words, Erica, to describe what you do. So help me out here. I know you're all about women's rights. I know that. I know that some people will call you a feminist, right? You're a feminist. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I'm a feminist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell me, let's let's talk a little bit. Talk about um, how you feel about women's rights. Uh, le- you know, I'm. Let me start. Let me start with this. The reason why I wanted to do this podcast, Erica, as you know, is because I was having a very intense conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the reversal of uh, uh, Roe versus Wade. And she uh, mentioned to me that, well, the way she sees it, if they were able to, and they were talking about the Supreme Court, was able to just um, pull that out from under us, what else are they able to do when it comes to the rights of women? So I started thinking and I said, you know, you're right. And that's a conversation that we should have amongst women. And so that is why we have this little gathering here today so that we can have this conversation. So why don't we start right there, Erica? And why don't you tell me um, how you feel about uh, that piece of information? Um, I'm sorry, just specifically the idea that we could roll back some of the rights we have now as women. Yeah, so um, the the Dodd case... um, it really, what it did was it shifted reproductive rights from the federal government to the state governments. So if, um, you know, at one time, everybody had reproductive rights that were protected. Now it all depends on what state you live in. But rollbacks to reproductive freedom have already been happening for a long time. Uh, specifically in Jackson, Mississippi, um, there was one reproductive health clinic for the entire state, which is a pretty large state, uh, you know, geographically. Uh, so the writing's been on the wall with these rollbacks. Um, but if you look at, so what, uh, started to give women rights or people rights, regardless of sex was the civil rights act of 1964. Mm -hmm. And you can see already with issues of, um, disenfranchisement and voting, Mm -hmm. 
that aspects of that act have been rolled back since its passing in 1964. So um, like if you look at the Shelby County Beholder case, um, which is in like the mid 2000s, um, that case, you know, basically the Civil Rights Act said, you, um, you Southern states that were most, um, most strongly inflicting Jim Crow, you have to check in and make sure that you are providing all people means to vote. Now that was overturned or that segment of the law was overturned in this Shelby Beholder case. And, oh, sorry, it was 2013, I think. And since then there's been 14 states that have more voting restrictions. So I understand that's a different conversation because we're talking about um, rights based on, on race and ethnicity but we can see how quickly things that have been established for a very long period of time can slip through our fingers if people aren't paying attention so you know there's other areas of of american life american society where um laws have been created to protect people to promote equity have been rolled back because of these court decisions so there's no reason to think that things couldn't keep slipping okay um i'm hearing everything that you're saying but I'm still not liking anything that you're saying. <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> no, seriously, because it, from the little bit that I know, it, it makes me think that at any given time, life as we know it can be different. And I know that's a crazy thing to say because that's what's been happening all along. Every, I mean, it always happens. But I guess when we live in we live in a certain time now where we think that everything is according to plan and we're doing what we want and you know women are doing it for itself and you know all of this stuff but the truth of the matter is I feel sometimes like it's almost like a, a carrot dangling in front of you and at any given moment that carrot can be taken away. Is that far fetched or well, I mean, if you look at the pandemic, um, you know, when the school shut down and parents had to take care of facilitating lessons at home, it was women who left the workforce. It wasn't men. <laughs> men just kept climbing through their careers and women left their place of work to um, take care of those responsibilities. You know, so I guess that would be a really modern example of how you know even though we've had advantages advantages i think you know most of us probably work you know here we're the first ones our careers are expendable they can easily be erased whereas other as men don't don't have that expectation well some could argue that um mothers are needed in the household and so <sighs> it made sense that the that the mothers would hold back their working to take care of the kids. I mean, the kids have to be taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't actually think it should be women all the time who sacrifices their careers to take care of the babies. I mean, I think that is, uh, you know, obviously something that should be discussed within a family. It's their, you know, decision, but it is the default. Okay. 
All right. So I also have on um, on the line a couple of my colleagues, Lexi Sims and Vicky Sims. And Lexi, you're being younger, a different generation. What are your thoughts? I'm curious to know what you're thinking right now. Because I'm I'm looking at you and I and, and you look like the wheels are turning. So what are you thinking right now? Um, I guess just to, you know, when it was mentioned that when the pandemic happened, most women left the workforce to return to home and the default or the expectation is women are to raise the children and take care of the home. I guess as someone that's a bit younger and does have two married parents and seeing my friends either be stay-at-home wives or the primary caretaker, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but I don't think it should all be on the woman to raise the children, especially even emotionally. I understand that historically women have been the emotional and mental health caretakers of their families. But as someone that does have mental health concerns, I think it's, and for other children that also have mental health concerns, I think it's beneficial when it's the mother and the father. I think it puts a lot on the mother to be a caretaker, not financially, but like clean the home, cook, mentally take care of the children, emotionally take care of the children. It just seems like to be a lot. And I like it when my father checks in on me, like, how are you? If I tell him I'm stressed, why are you stressed? You know, what's, you know, checking in with me as someone that has parent, like as friends, I have friends that have fathers. I think they also would like that mental health, emotional check-in too. So as much as it's a default or expectation for women to take care of the home, I do think there needs to be an expectation for men too, to provide more than just finances, to provide that emotional mental health check-in. My dad's a great financial caregiver, but I know there's times we'd like for him to join movie night. He thinks that he's, you know, just has an older mentality, but I know the fact that he is all women, we want that emotional connection. We want him to have movie night and such and break and be like physically present, not just financially present. So I just think as time goes on, I think there needs to be an expectation from fathers to provide a bit more than financially. That's just, you know, my opinion. All right. Um, So Erica, women are taking bigger roles outside of the home um, these days. We have women who are vice presidents, who are presidents, who are running companies. And women really are doing it for themselves when you really stop to think about it. So I guess the idea of of a of a woman who has already established herself in the business world to have to now take a back seat for uh, I don't want to say domestic duties because raising your child is your child, but um, I'm what do we say to women who who are in those positions? You mentioned 2020 and how they we had to make some changes. I know for a fact that there's a lot of men who who began staying home or working from home and and a lot of women who actually stayed in their positions in their high positions. So can you speak to that? Erica? Yeah, sure. Um I think you know the data 
so anecdotally, we you know probably all know families that had dads that stayed home and cared for. And I'm gonna say something. I mean, no disrespect by it at all, but fatherhood, like biologically, is required at the moment of conception, right? So everything that happens with fatherhood is social. You know, so it's like the social norms or people are conditioned to what it means to be a father, like what Lexi was saying, being an economic provider, financial provider. But because mothers carry so much more of a biological burden, so you are, you know, pregnant for nine and a half months and then, uh, you know, then you're breastfeeding for however many months you choose, right, if you choose. But all of this is, is actual physical, uh, biological connection between the mother and her child. Right. Um, and it's not that men can't form emotional bonds, but it's required by nature. <laughs> These things are required by nature. Babies grow in a uterus, um, whereas it's not required of men. So even what you're talking about with women who've been able to be successful, right? Climbing the ladder. So here I'm here, man's here. We start out out of college, right? We're climbing, we're climbing, we're climbing. I decide of a baby. I'm going to have to stay home for a while. Yeah. Right. My body is not going to be, and he, and meanwhile, he is just, you know, elevating and progressing through his career. And um, because of that, you know, women have fought really hard to have more of a presence in the workforce, but we get almost like two jobs, right? We get to go and have our full-time job in the office where we have to prove ourselves there. And then women have to go home and have another full-time job where they're, they're responsible for all that nurturing and love. And, you know, it's just um, the expectations are incredible, incredibly high, um, and it's a really, really tough thing for women, even women in really high positions to sustain unless they have an incredibly helpful system of support. So when I when we talk about women's rights, what's the first thing that come to your mind when we even mention the word? What, what does a woman have a right to to ask for, um, to expect, to demand even? When we, when we talk about empowerment, uh, again, like I said, this is a women's empowerment group. So we're always talking about ways that we as women can empower ourselves to do more for ourselves. So when I, when we say women's rights, it sounds almost as if we're making demands. What does that mean to you when you hear those words? What does that mean? Women's rights. To me, it means um, having the right to have autonomy, to make decisions that are best for yourself, your body, your mind, your family, and being able to have that autonomy versus um, and being able to fight for the right to have that autonomy and not just allow other people, strangers that you don't know in this world, in this country that you will most, most likely never, ever meet, not allowing them to make the decisions for you in your life. So that's what I think about women's rights, like the autonomy and the legal right to have that autonomy. Okay. Erica, how, what do you think? Um, in terms of, oh gosh, in terms of women's rights, my eyes have really been opened by the class I teach, the Women and Gender Studies class. Um, right. My professors um, are, uh, my one professor is Palestinian and my other professor is African-American. 
And um, a lot of what I knew about women's rights and the development of them over time uh, were like the suffragists, you know, like your um, uh, Susan B. Anthony and getting the right to vote. And then it was in the 60s and 70s, Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug. Um, but it's always been kind of taught to me as these three waves of uh, feminism. And the reality is that it's that narrative is missing a lot of the story of the various people who've contributed to women's rights um, in this country. So when like you ask about women's rights, I'm asking like, well, what kind of women are you talking about? So I'm talking about all women, actually. No, I know. But the thing is, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, our earliest traditions of feminism and women's rights came from indigenous populations of the Americas. Um, I think, you know, most of us in this chat would be familiar with Sojourner Truth um, and the Ain't I a Woman speech. The thing that's interesting about that speech is that the one that we know, the one that I've seen performed by Kerry Washington it was written by a white woman and it is not Sojourner Truth's original language. Sojourner Truth's language sounded very um, kind of uh, polished and academic, whereas the one that we know is much more colloquial mm -hmm. and it was written by a white suffragist in order to appeal to the abolitionists to okay. paint to paint a story of, of a woman who was more uneducated and more broken than she actually was in order to leverage um, that myth really for her own cause. Um, so, you know, I think this is, you know, that's one of the earliest examples I can think of of various points in time where um, many voices in women's right were left out. Um, Dr. Crenshaw, Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, kind of introduces us to the idea of intersectionality in the 90s, but it was happening way earlier than that by many scholars and women's groups. And there were also exclusions, not just of people in these rights movements by like race and ethnicity, but also by sexual orientation mm -hmm. and uh, gender identity. So um, to answer your question in a very kind of long-winded way, um, what we think of as, or what many people think of as women's rights in this country and feminism in this country is missing a lot of the story. Um, and that there needs to be a lot of action, a lot of legal protection that's taken to help make it a story that affects all women you know, everybody who identifies as a woman um, and not just, you know, those who have traditionally benefited from these, these activist movements. Right. I hear what you're saying. You know, I, I, I wasn't even thinking about this until you, when we, when we start to talk about um, women's rights, we, we really need to talk about the differences between um each of these women, like you said, um, what are the rights of a black woman as opposed to what are the rights of a white woman? What are the rights of of um, a Native American woman? What are women? What are the rights of an Asian woman? Because it seems to me that even though, as much as we try to get around the whole race card, it doesn't matter what topic that we're talking about. It doesn't matter the conversation that we pull up. It always comes back to this because I kind of felt that, and even in the um. The conversation that you were saying, 
um, who benefits from, from women's rights? Who makes the decision as to what you have a right to do as, say, a Black woman or a white woman or an Asian woman, right? Because we have different values and we have different cultures. So I don't know, that opens up a whole nother can of worms. I, I was just, you know, it, it seems like you're going to say, oh, Caroline, you always talk about the black and white thing, but it always comes to that. Because, you know, as you were talking, it seems like, well, you were talking about Sojourner Truth, you was talking about Susan B. Anthony, and you was talking about, and I was thinking about the um, the, the feminist movement altogether, when, when no woman had any rights, and then we're moving together to to try to have rights. And then you, you said it was a, around the time of the civil rights movement, but then there were so many other movements going on during that time. So it was like, you, I feel like as a black woman, you have to pick and choose what movement you're going to be part of. Am I going to be part of the movement that, that allows civil rights of all people, including black people, or am I going to be part of a movement that speaks specifically for, for women's rights? Are you following what I'm saying? Am, is Are you all confused or are you all at least following what I'm trying to say here? I'm following what you're saying, Caroline. And Thank you, Vicki. You know, <laughs> yes. And when, uh, and when Eric, is, is it Erica? Was your, the, our guest speaker? When yes, she was Erica. talking, I was thinking of the 60s because I was born in 55. So mm -hmm. I'm aware of the women's women's movement right. and it was that it was mainly for white women black women joined the movement but did we benefit from that movement we you know when i reflect did we really benefit and even now today they don't think about black women rolling back roe versus wade they don't i i, I for me i think they they just want to make sure white women aren't getting the, the abortions because they don't want their their population to diminish. Okay. That's just how I feel. And, and you're entitled to your feelings. Does anybody want to add to that? You're shaking your head, Erica. So you obviously agree. Uh, yes. I mean, even if you take race out of it and, and just think of it as a total class thing, people with financial means are going to find a way of getting access to reproductive health. People without financial means or not, you know? So like, you know, if I'm a wealthy person, you know, my parents or whatever are gonna fly me to California where I'm gonna get safe healthcare. If I don't have those financial means, if I don't have access and ability to get someplace, guess what? I'm, I'm basically forced to have a child against my will. Um, you know, so I think that I, I um, sorry, Vicki, I think I agree. I think that these reproductive, um, I think that they're especially an assault on black women and especially assault on poor black women in this country. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And my thing is, you know, when they talk about their, their pro-life and if you're from an economics that can't afford a child and you're taking away these social programs to that's gonna assist me to raise my child. So you're not pro-life, you're pro-birther, you know, because after the child is born, if, 
and my economics and there's no resources for me, what, what am I to do? You know, and then I'm characterized as a bad mother because I can't provide for my child. You know, when it comes to, you know, I think maybe it was you, Miss Caroline, that asked when it comes to women's rights, who are the women involved in these conversations or who are involved in these conversations? Um, it doesn't appear that there is a wide range of diversity in having the conversation regarding women's rights. It seems as if as an American, you're supposed to vote majority rules and then whoever the majority will win or was, that's who's advocating for you when it comes to these laws, like state laws or federal laws. However, it doesn't appear that that person, that elected official that's supposed to be representing you as an individual, representing your um, your county as a, as a group, you know, it doesn't seem like that elected officials making these decisions with their, we'll say their people in mind, the people that they're supposed to represent as far as their county or their state, they're not making these decisions with them in mind. So it's like they have these campaigns, they speak these, um, these buzzwords when it actually comes down to rulings and such. It's like, did you forget who you were talking to? Did you forget who you're supposed to represent? And it's almost like tunnel visual, tunnel vision regarding these women rights. It's like, are other women involved? Is it just man making these decisions? Is it just Caucasian women making decisions? Is it just Caucasian men and women making these decisions with one Asian woman on the side and they're making these decisions for all women in the state or country? It seems like actual women and women that are affected by women's rights are not being included in that conversation. And for me, it's like a big question mark and why. So Erica, if I ask the question, what do women need to consider when they're thinking about their rights and the possibility that their rights can be removed? What do they need to consider? And I'm talking all women right now, all women from all walks of life. Uh, well, that's a multi-layered question. <laughs> it is, but I know you can handle it. <laughs> um, all right. So... You know, I think that one of the, like, one of the things, one of the ideas that's promoted for in any kind of social justice movement is an idea of solidarity. But the issue with that is, is that if you don't, like, consider the nuances of people's culture and people's identity, you create this monolith that all women are the same, right? And then you put forth laws that are going to benefit the majority. And that's how we've always approached it. So I guess the most practical example I can think about it is that American women tend to think that like Muslim women are oppressed and need some kind of saving, right? Because of covering laws, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, modesty is something that is embraced and chosen by many parts of the Muslim world. And in many ways, tributes to a woman's power in that she can be judged for the content of who she is rather than the way she looks because she's, um, you know, dressed modestly. But that challenge, that idea of liberation challenges everything that, you know, mainstream feminism would consider um, progressive. So I think, you know, kind of just weaves back to what we've already talked about a bit about how feminism needs to 
look to um, all women and, you know, not, and all women and, you know, queer women too. And, um, you know, understand that unless you're advocating for all, right. And if you're not, as long as you're not respecting the, the, various identities within your solidarity and trying to include things that tailor to those, those different groups of people, then you're missing the point. <laughs> then you're missing the point because what you're doing is you're just reinforcing the power structure. The patriarchy is just continuing to exist the way it always has because it's benefiting one group of people over the other. It's pinning one group of people over the other. Um, and like I said, just start my comment here is, you know, solidarity works to a certain extent, but it only really works if you can understand the various individuals within your organization and, and value them and appreciate that they are just as important as you in the fight. But, you know, as as you're talking and, I, and I'm thinking of some things, rules and regulations, when we when we talk about it as far as rights, we're talking about who are the ones who are creating the rules, right? So where we're talking about who's who's sitting in those offices, who's sitting in those election halls or wherever they go to make these these big decisions about what's going to happen with the woman, whether it's her body or whether it's her schooling or whether it's her mothering or whether it's whether she can get a job or if she can purchase a house or even if she can have a, a business. Um, I guess the point that I'm trying to to make or the question that I'm trying to ask is who's making those decisions? Because if there's no diversity in the decision making, if you don't have a group of people that's sitting around the table that look like every denomination that you're making rules for, then someone is bound to get left out. So let's talk about the importance of our elections and who we put in office and why it's so important that we have diversity. It, um, because at this particular point, we can sit here all day long and talk about um, I'm a marginalized group or this is a marginalized group and my needs are not getting met and no one um, is really thinking about what I need. But the truth of the matter is, unless we have a diverse voting pool, the individuals who is actually making these decisions, how is it possible that the larger group of people are going to be recognized. Am I making sense? No, I'm not making sense. Yeah. Well, um, I can't, it's, I have a terrible memory, but I remember when I was, I think I was living in maybe Las Vegas or maybe South Jersey at the time. I don't remember, but I remember doing, I think it was Las Vegas. I remember doing, re, there was a local election or a statewide election. It was so long ago, so I don't remember exactly. But I remember looking up all the different candidates um, just to see like what their cause was, what their beliefs was, just to get an idea of who I wanted to vote for. And at that time, I was, I mean, it could have been around like 2000 and I moved there in 2019. Wait, did I? No, I moved in there 2017 to 2019. So somewhere within that two-year period, I was doing some type of voting. And if I'm not mistaken, majority of the electees for what I was voting for were all Caucasian and mostly men. Um, and out of all their talking points and such, only one actually resonated with me. I don't think women's rights was talked about 
but education wise, and I was just starting my career. So I was really big on, well, let's, I guess I have to go with education as something that's important because I don't think women's right was a talking point. But as you said, with diversity, there was really no one diverse on that panel to vote for. So their cabinets were there, um, the people that would be working alongside their political career were also not diverse as well. So here I am voting, women's rights is not talked about, but at least education is talked about. So, you know, that was my, you know, I guess my focus point, but I thought that was interesting. As I mentioned before, we're supposed to vote for these electors or elect, you know, whatever the word is, and they're not divorced even in the month themselves, yet alone the people that will serve with them on their political career, you know, um, so how that changes, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a political person. So, you know, but I just thought that was interesting. Even then in that whole area, they were all Caucasian and mostly male. Maybe that's why women's rights wasn't talked about or maybe it just wasn't a big topic socially at the time. It was like several years ago, so I can't remember. But I think that's a prime example, probably how other states are. That was just Nevada. You know, there's 49 other states to consider. Erica, you want to add? Vicky, you want to add? Anybody want to add? When you talked about diversity, and it's true, there's not enough diversity and the candidates, candidates. But it, 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 ownership is on us and getting involved in, I guess, civic duties, you know, starting there, you know, with the school, you know, just at your local level, you know, and and it takes money to go into politics or, you know, run for whatever office, you know, so you have to, it's a, it's a lot to get yourself out there and to be recognized and known and, 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 and be amongst the people, but it has to start somewhere. You know, we have to be diligent of the, the candidates that we do see. Yeah, that are on the ballot. Like Lexi said, when she moved to Vegas, she looked them up, you know, and to, to see what they stood for. So we, we got we to do things differently. Or this world is not going to be here. <laughs> Oh, I think Vicky is exactly right. Um, I don't, I think we put so much stock into federal level politics, you know, President Trump, Joe Biden, but where things happen, where people have a chance of being elected that are outside the mainstream is locally, school board, I don't know, being even elected as a union representative, Dr. Jones, um, you know, going for our, you know, nobody masses have no idea how important those elections are and how much they have the ability to uh, pivot. Um, the other thing is just like the grassroots efforts. Um, I think most Americans, or I know at least the women in this room would know who Stacey Abrams is, but she had a team of, you know, lots of women who really put her message out there. It was like a whole uh collaborative effort it was you know she became kind of the face of that movement but it was lots of really smart resourceful um women of color who um were the ones who were able to guide that campaign so um and you know it had its limits but she's able to she's been able to achieve a national audience from a very local grassroots or grassroots um organization 
so yeah, I think Vicki, your point is just, I agree completely with that. So let's stay there for a minute, Erica. And, and how can women who know nothing about how to get involved, what, how do they start? How, how do you get women interested? How do we get women to run? How do we get women to, to take their uh, rights seriously? I mean, a lot of women don't even vote. A lot of women don't come out. A lot of women, you know, I'm, we have a lot of women who do. I'm not trying to diminish the ones that do literally take it seriously enough to come out. But for those women who may not have in the past understood their ability to do something that can help, what is your advice? How do they get started? Where should they begin? What advice would you give them? Um, well, I'm embarking on my first uh, campaign um, now, currently. I'm running for office in my town. Um, and I think that the starting point is really just um, going to meetings, like going to town council meetings, um, to like looking at your tax bill and noticing like, why am I being, you know, why is my rent, re or if you own a place, looking at your tax bill, why are my taxes increasing? If you rent a place, why are my rents increasing? I, you know, um, and asking those questions at council meetings or school board meetings, um, because if you just show up and start asking questions at meetings, all of a sudden you're holding these elected officials accountable and there begins the agency. You know, if you just assume nobody wants to hear from me, I'm just so-and-so, they're not going to listen to me anyway, then they'll just continue making decisions without you. And you mm -hmm. still don't have the opportunity to say anything about it. They might continue to make decisions without you, but at least in a public arena, meetings that are recorded, no one can deny that you've said it, that you've asked it. So that's what I would suggest for women who are interested in um, becoming more politically active that's where to start. Turn up for some meetings. Hmm. And do you, do you think it's important for women to become more politically active? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, the personal is political. Um, yes, uh, I think that, I mean, if you look at the Supreme Court, there's nine justices, the six that voted to overturn Roe, um, five of them were white men and the other one was Clarence Thomas. There, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Four of them were men. Sorry. One of them was Clarence Thomas and the other one was a Amy Coney Bryant, who was a Trump nominee, a very conservative judge from Notre Dame, right? With a very, uh, strong reputation for not being especially friendly to reproductive rights. Mm. <clears throat> The votes came from people that had the power and the three women, the other three women, the Jewish woman, the Latina and the black woman didn't have a say, right? Because they were outnumbered. But the more that we could have representation there, at some point, the balance is going to tip, right? At some point, all the old white men are going to die. I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid, but they will. So the more that you can start 
laying the groundwork for for that moment to step up and have a majority it takes a long time but um but it takes someone actually trying to do it mm-hmm. and and not and feeling like they have the possibility of some agency in the face of frustration which is an incredibly huge task to ask of people yeah so someone like lexi who's the youngest one on this call right now <laughs> how would someone like lexi get involved in being part of the political arena lexi i'm gonna ask you are you are you interested in being part of the political arena and what what would it take for you to be interested in being part of it? Well, I never knew what town council meetings were growing up. I would see like my parents would get letters and such, or I'd get a letter in the mail. And of course, all it took was a Google search, but I was too busy going about my business. But it's interesting to know that that's what those meetings are for, to have local people like me and my neighbors go to these meetings to voice our concerns when it comes to rent increasing, because I'm a renter or when it comes to these changes that are being made about women's rights and a broad spectrum, that that's what that arena is for. I didn't know that. So I'm not a vocal person. I'm very shy. I can sign a petition. I can write a letter. But for me to speak out loud, I'm one of those people, like Erica said, like in person, I feel like no one cares. They're going to ignore me. But because I'm not, I'm not a vocal person. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just more shy in that way. But I think I'd feel more comfortable like if a friend went with me to a council meeting. I feel like I, as a person, I need that support. And I think my my friends would come with me. So I think that's what it would take for me to get involved, for me to start locally at a town council meeting mm-hmm. and having a friend be there to encourage me to say what I want or at least be there as um, a um, a support system. Sorry, I was waving too. And if you... And um, so, Erica, I'm bouncing this question back to you because you're our special guest. So you're, you're going to be on the hot seat a lot. So what can we do? What can we do to encourage other women to get involved, whether it's on a local level, whether it's in their school system or, or, or whether it's just at, at the county level? What, what can we do as women? Because this, again, we are an, a women's empowerment group. So we, I want to empower another woman to take the, the reins of, of moving toward trying to make changes for all women. What direction should she go in? Well, Where do we do start? You in, do you live in the same community? Do we, as an executive board, live in the same community? No. Where most of them live in Jersey. I live in yeah. Maryland. Maryland. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe kind of what Lexi's saying that there's power in numbers and more. So basically the way a council meeting happens is that they'll like go through all their business and at the end they open it up to the public, you know, and they're like, does anyone in the public have anything they want to ask or say? So, you know, maybe make it a night out. Like, you know, you, you take rotations. So maybe one week you're in, in East Orange, next week you're wherever the various places you live, but as friends, as a group, as an organization, 
couple of you stick together to support each other for the issues that are affecting that friend or that person. And then go out for some dinner for, you know, a cocktail or something to celebrate that you've made your voice heard in a public forum. Um, and that's how I think you build um, community. I think that's how you build grassroots efforts. Um, I, so I think Lexi had it right on as far as that a lot of women feel like they need the support of others in order to feel safe in that space, especially a space that has not been particularly welcoming. So do it for each other. Okay. Um, Vicki, do you want to add anything to... Um... Erica was right. Going to uh, whatever town you live in, going to the local meetings, the Board of Education. Um, if you have children in school, going to back to school night, the PTA meetings, and and that way you know what's going on in your your child's school in the school district, you know. Uh, so when they want to come and start banning books, that you'll be present and be able to have a voice. Okay. All right. All right. So there you have it. I guess what we need to do as women is come together and um, go out to the places in which they are making these decisions so we can have our voices heard. So I'm going to encourage every woman who is sitting and listening and wondering, what can I do to make this a better world for women? Well, we're going to tell you what you can do. What you can do is go out, go to the PTA meetings, go to the school board meetings, go to the city council meetings, get interested, pick up a book, Google something, but put yourself in the game because you can't be in it unless you literally put yourself in it. I want to thank my special guest, Ms. Erica Gali, for offering to sit with us and talk to us about what she knows about women's rights. But before Erica leaves us, I want her to talk a little bit about herself and what do you do at the high school that you work at? We want to know. I think I'm a teacher. Um, so okay. I, I, I teach in a program that's focused on government and public policy and sociology and women and gender studies. Um, so basically I get paid to go and have conversations with pretty smart kids about topics that interest me every day. Um, so uh, I'm living, I'm living <laughs> the dream job, but, um, you know, uh, in connection with that, you know, um, try to do, try to, teach some of what you know, we talked about here in terms of like how to become involved locally in government, how your local government matters so much more than the federal government because of your accessibility to it. Um, and um, yeah, that's what the message is in my classroom is you can do it. You can have some agency, even if everybody's told you, you cannot, you just have to kind of show up for it. Um, and that we'll be here to support you. Okay. And that's going to be our message here tonight. You can do it. All of you can do it. And we're all here to support you. So don't be afraid to lend your voice. Don't be afraid to go to those meetings. And don't be afraid to ask a question and say, I don't understand, right? No one's going to be um, mad at you because you say, can you explain to me what's happening? Because I don't understand. 
I think so many of us, including myself sometimes, are afraid to say, I don't know how this process works. Can you explain it to me? But I think the more bold we get in asking the right questions, the better we're going to become at being stronger women and empowered women. Yeah, I just wanted to add that there are definitely many resources out there for um, women who are interested in getting into politics. Um, specifically, there's an organization that's national called Ignite. Um, here in New Jersey, we have Ignite New Jersey, but like I said, Ignite is national. So wherever you are, you should be able to find a chapter. Um, also being in Essex County, New Jersey, we have Project Ready, which is um, founded in Newark, and that is a organization that is committed to getting women into leadership positions within um, the school board and politics and all types of beautiful things like that. And for myself, um, a few years ago, I was involved with the Urban League of Essex County Young Professionals, and they hosted monthly um, conversations around politics and Tradition, citizen action, and we had so many uh, wonderful speakers because I didn't know much about politics. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert today. However, um, just having all those conversations happening got me a little uh, more information about how things work. So I would definitely suggest that people, um, if you're interested, or if you don't know if you're interested, and you might be, um, a good place to start, um, like Erica mentioned, is going to meetings of your um, your city council, but not just city council, perhaps there's an organization in your town that is um, hosting meetings related to this topic where you can just ask questions in a casual way because the council meetings won't be an opportunity for you to ask questions. Just, just like when you go to church, you can't raise your hand during the sermon. That's why you have the Bible studies if you want those additional questions asked and answered. So yeah, a council meeting would be to listen and to learn about who the folks are, who the players are. Um, but you wouldn't, you may, you would not be able to get your questions answered at that time. Um, so going to the local organizations that follow these subject matters would be your best bet to have that hands-on um, activity. Okay, um, that was actually good. So you have been listening to Real Talk with Real People a candid conversation with yours truly. I am Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and my special guest today was Miss Erica Gali. And I'm here with my executive board. We you've heard from Miss Vicky Sims and Alexis Sims. We call her Lexi. And I have a couple of my other um, executive boards on the line, although they did not offer a a conversation, but they're here. So we're going to say good evening and we will see you again next time. When my next topic, I can tell you what it is right now because I know what it is. I'm going to be speaking about entrepreneurship and how women can start their own business. We're going to have someone here who has successfully started her own business and she's very successful at it. And she's going to give us some sage advice as to how you too can be an entrepreneur and start your own business. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.